During the last few years, we've ventured into a lot of different fields. And we've had the opportunity to meet and work with a lot of wonderful people. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Walt Daily. This is episode 75. And for those that don't know us by now, we're a Disney couple. One of us is a Disney fanatic and one of us is Disney challenged. But somehow we've made a way to make this relationship work. Yeah. Good job. My uh, announcing skills are like, when I say like my intro skills are like set in stone. Are they? I think so. I haven't messed up ever in a while. Ever in a while? <laughs> I want to say that you messed up like two weeks, two episodes ago. Yeah. But I can't, I can't recall. And I've, I've already edited, so I might have edited it out if, it, if, it, if you were. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> My intro skills are not as good as yours. Well, you don't have say. any. Exactly. So they're not as good as yours. Yeah. But anyways, let's move on. Okay. Headlines. Headlines. Okay. All right. So my first headline, a big announcement came out of Disney this week. Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, which is one of the big headlining attractions in Galaxy's Edge, is going to be opening December 5th. Kind of a interesting, so interesting date because this is in Walt Disney World that that's, that's the date that it's opening. Now, the Galaxy's Edge opens at, on August 29th in Hollywood Studios. So this is going to come some months after. But December 5th is Walt Disney's birthday. So in the Disney Parks blog announcement, they said that it's the tribute to the ultimate storyteller because this is going to be such an immersive ride and it's going to be opening on Walt Disney's birthday. Cool. Yeah. So it is pretty cool. I imagine there will be quite the lines. So make some fast passes if you're able. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Next headline. Windbreakers. Richie, what's a windbreaker? Uh, it's a type of clothing. Yes. Okay. So a windbreaker <laughs> is a type of jacket. And Disney, specifically at Mouse Gear at Epcot, it's been spotted that they're selling new windbreakers. And they come in all different kinds of designs. So they have one that has the Luxo Ball from Pixar, Fantasyland, Space Mountain, Jungle Cruise, and the Purple Wall. So there's different types of windbreakers available. And you posed something interesting when I first showed you the, the windbreakers. You said, this is cooler than the spirit jersey. Yeah, I, I felt bad for you because of all the spirit jerseys you bought and realized you're probably not going to wear them ever again because you can now wear these cool windbreakers that are much cooler. But I love my spirit jerseys. Yeah. And I just imagine that I'm going to have windbreakers too. Are they going to stop selling the spirit jerseys? Because no. that would be, th- they should, because that would make it... Um, you know, more, uh, what's it called? Like limited and like exclusive type of thing. So then that means my spirit Jersey will go, jerseys will go up in value. Technically. Yes. <laughs> That's what they should do. That's what I would do if I was running that. You this is your last chance to get spirit jerseys. Good luck. Well, you want to know a fun <laughs> fact though? Spirit Jersey is like a separate company. 
So Spirit Jersey is its own entity. Yeah, but not. But you, Disney has a licensing to their branding. So while you can probably buy your own Spirit Jersey in some other way, you wouldn't be able to do it from official Disney stuff. So well, good try. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, so they are $49.99 each, and they're available again at Mouse Gear at Epcot, which I'm sure they're probably going to expand to other locations very soon. So keep an eye out if you are looking for some all-purpose, all-weather sportswear, we'll say. Okay. Okay. Is it waterproof? I, I don't think so. Okay. Because they're it's, usually not. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think, I think, I don't even think it's water resistant. I just think <laughs> it looks super cool. Yeah. So it breaks the wind. Yeah. But does it break the humidity? Probably not. No. No. Definitely not. All right. My last headline. The Grand Floridian, which is a Magic Kingdom area resort, is going to be soon having its own walkway to the Magic Kingdom which is pretty cool. So the other two monorail resorts, Contemporary and Polly, they both have walkways directly to the Magic Kingdom so that you can bypass the monorail and the boat. Okay. This one, the Grand Floridian doesn't until now. So it looks like they filed permits in order to do this. And it's reported that it's about under, like just under a mile of a walk (laughs) from Grand Floridian to Magic Kingdom. But it's, Depending on the time of the year, it's probably a shorter time to walk than to wait for a monorail, wait for a ferry. Okay. It's pretty cool. Sounds interesting. It is very interesting. But you know what's more interesting? What? Is I'm going to segue from one monorail resort to another. We're going to be talking today about the Contemporary Resort. Okay. Another monorail resort by the Magic Kingdom. Okay. When you think of this resort, what do you think about? Uh, I think about the monorail going through it. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. I don't think we've ever stayed there. We've never stayed there. We've eaten there at Chef Mickey's before. Yes. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. We were, yep, the breakfast with the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. What was it called? Chef Mickey's? No, no, no. Like that type of breakfast. Oh, character dining? A buffet. Okay. Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> no, like I thought there was like a specific type of experience that you have when you sit and eat and the characters walk around you. Character dining. Okay. Yeah. But it's also a buffet. But but you were talking about the characters. Okay, but anyways. So yeah, in general, this hotel has a lot to offer in terms of amenities. Um, but there's something even more special about this hotel. It was one of the opening day resorts at Disney. So literally, October 1st, 1971, it opened its doors as Magic Kingdom opened its gates. Um, It looks old. Oh, does it? But but it's like it's it's like one of those designs that is like retro that's like old, but now it's back and cool again. Yeah. Kind of. I think the word for that is timeless. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm sure at some point people are like, this is a terrible building. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas now it looks really cool. Yeah. I think that it's... It, it has kind of, as with everything, kind of goes through its time, its phases. Maybe there was a time in like the early 2000s when the contemporary, which has not changed its building structure ever, um, at, went through its kind of lull where it's like, oh, maybe this needs some updating, but now it's cool and back again. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's we've never stayed there. And it's definitely a bucket list resort because it's a deluxe resort. As of the time of this recording, the 
least expensive room is $421 a night. Jeez. Yeah. That's crazy. And mind you, the actual resort itself has the central tower building, which is the A-frame where the monorail goes through it. But then it also has what's called the garden wing buildings, which are three-story buildings flanking the tower buildings. So I imagine that price probably is not for the central tower building. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it has like, because I know, are there rooms that have views to the monorail inside or are the views only outside? So the, the way that the, the rooms are situated within the tower part is that the doors open to the lobby where the monorail would be. Now, I'm glad that you mentioned views though, because something special also about this, not just this resort, but, but certain rooms in this resort, I guess you could say, but, but other of the Magic Kingdom resorts is that you could get a room that literally overlooks the Magic Kingdom. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. You get, you put on your, you know, your robe. If you wear a robe, get your cup of coffee that, you know, that, that's that's from the coffee maker in your room. You walk out to your balcony and there it is. Magic Kingdom, Tomorrowland, Main Street, USA. You can see it all from your hotel. Yeah. Super cool. And I mean, that also makes the price go up, of course, because that's more of a premium type of view. But, but yeah, so it's definitely a very, very special resort. And like I said before, it is a deluxe resort. Now, before we go into the construction and building of the hotel, which I thought would be super interesting to talk to you about, I do want to go back to what the opening day prices were per room. Is this accounting for inflation? This, so I'm going to give you both. Okay. So the actual physical price and then what it would have been in 2019 dollars. Okay. So glad you thought that through. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think about things. So there were two room rates on opening day, $28 and $44. So just depending on the type of view that you're going to have, um, is going to dictate the price. Mm -hmm. Now, $28 and $2019 is $177. Mm. So it's much more expensive than that. No. Yeah. Yeah. And then $44 equates to $278. So again, we've gone a little bit far from that. So, and, and that was in the 1970s. 1971. So it almost um, tripled probably. Yeah. Literally. I mean, it's, it's gone up it. quite a bit, even past inflation. Well, it definitely has to go past inflation because of the supply and demand behind it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would expect something like that to go much past inflation. Yeah. It's not like bread. It's not like bread. No. Bread's gone up though. Bread probably also tripled since the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Uh, now I'm curious to know how much bread costs in, in uh, 1970. We'll continue on. All right. Well, so let's first talk about the design. So the design was made in collaboration with Disney, so Wed Enterprises, which was the former name of Disney Imagineering, the U.S. Steel Corporation, which was a steel and construction company, and California architect Welton Beckett. And the cool thing about the design that they collectively came up with was that it was inspired by Walt Disney's Epcot. Wait, Richie, did you look up the price of bread? I did. Apparently, I don't really know much about economics, but (laughs) in 1970, a loaf of bread was 70 cents. Wow. 
which which borderline falls along the lines of what the increase in price was with this resort. <laughs> yeah. If you look at what pricing now is, it probably forexed. I think a price a, a loaf of bread now is it's like, like three dollars. It's like three or four dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So depending on the bread, if you want to be fancy. Interesting. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on from bread. So the building itself. The A-frame atrium style central building was inspired by Walt Disney's concept of what the central high-rise building would be for Epcot. So not Epcot the park, but the actual utopian city that he had thought up of that was going to be multi-purpose, that the monorail would literally go right through it. That was inspired from one of Walt Disney's own ideas. So... The shops, the dining, city transport, it all kind of is there and it's inspired in the in the physical design of it. Is there reasons for that design? Cuz we know that it was inspired for that, but is there is there have you seen reasons as to why that design was in that way for that particular city? Well, it's not necessarily the Epcot prototype uh, or at least the model wasn't necessarily a frame like this. It's more of the multi-purpose hub. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, where you have like a monorail or people mover going right through it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So it's more of like that rather than the actual a frame structure. But but that's a very good uh, point of clarification. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, because I thought I thought you had meant that it was an A in the shape of the A because of X Y Z. But it was just the it was the f the functions of the building. Yeah, yeah. It's very particularly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, it's definitely think about the 70s though. The design is very futuristic, and it's something that Walt probably would have appreciated of appreciated that it wasn't going to be kind of that futuristic design and very stark concrete and steel. What's crazy about that is that there hasn't been, um, even today, there's not a lot of things that are like that. Like even in 2019, there's not a lot of like uh, full-fledged buildings that do housing, restaurants, play things for children, um, and have like a way to go easily in and out of. Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. Especially with the transportation part. I mean... Particularly, I guess, where, where we're from, the transportation to and from is not as simple as, oh, let me go to the lobby, hop in a monorail, and go somewhere really quick. But it is, it's pretty cool that yeah. it really is all kind of centralized. I mean, you have those types of things in, like, New York and stuff like that, like, you know, where everything is commuting and it's easy to jump on. But even in the modern places, I mean, we have a, there's, in, in Miami, they have a, the people mover and things like that, but... I don't think it's it's as functional. I don't think there's a building as functional as maybe that particular building. Yeah, which says a lot. Yeah. Doesn't it? And it's at Disney. Disney. Yeah. Disney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and something interesting that, and when I first read this, I was like, I was, I couldn't believe it because it's just such a fact. So the way that the positioning of the building is, is in sight of Tomorrowland. So they wanted to make sure that that kind of futuristic design was going to reflect well when you if you can see it from Tomorrowland. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And then when you think yeah. about the other monorail resorts, like the Polynesian, not, not that you can see it necessarily from Magic Kingdom, but it reflects the vibe of Adventureland. The Grand Floridian reflects Main Street USA. 
That is a fun fact mm-hmm. that I did not know. <laughs> it is. It's really, really cool. Like, yeah. it's it's amazing how things kind of just come full circle and inspire one another. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's see. So, U.S. Steel, they were in agreement with Disney for the construction of the building. So, Disney would actually retain the land, but U.S. Steel would build and own the hotel itself. That was the initial plan. And over time, what was happening, or over time of the construction at least, the relationship between Disney and U.S. Steel became strained, and they, what Disney did was eventually buy out all the shares that U.S. Steel had in the building and bought, it, bought them out so much that they had to take over all the construction costs and everything that still remained. But that was just so they wouldn't have to deal with U.S. Steel and that strained relationship moving forward when that hotel actually opened. Which is interesting because if you think about the Disneyland Hotel, which is in Disneyland in California, that hotel, it was the first Disney hotel or quote like Disney um, resort. It was owned by a third party. It wasn't owned by Disney. And what happened over there was that eventually the the quality of the hotel became run down and it wasn't quite up to par of what Disney might have done, but they weren't giving up, the third party wasn't giving up ownership of the hotel. And they had to wait until, I think it was the 80s, until they could actually own the Disneyland hotel. Mm. So you would think that they would have learned maybe from what was going on there, that unless it happened after actually, but so it's not the first time that Disney's tried to do that kind of model where, okay, you'll be here, owning this building and you'll get all these guests from our enterprise, um, but you're going to be in charge of running it. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so let's talk about the construction. The first thing to have to, to be built in the hotel was the central elevator shaft. So they built the elevator and then what would go around it was steel framing. And I have pictures cause I know how you like pictures. Oh, cool. Come over here. So what went up first was steel framing around the central elevator shaft. And so these steel frames, after they were put up, then they would start to work on the rooms. And the rooms are modular. And so what that means is that the rooms were built completely offsite. They were built about three miles away. And they were furnished, they had bathrooms, they had air conditioning, and it was all, they had sliding glass doors and they were all enclosed. That's crazy. I just said that's crazy, which I'm sure you heard in the background. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> and so these rooms were literally fully equipped and like they had to just be brought over to property. And what's interesting is the the, the rate at which these rooms were built because they were building rooms for the, for the Polynesian Resort simultaneously. And so between the two, construction crews could build around 40 rooms per week. So for, for 40 rooms per week were built. And then once they were done, they were brought on site and they were intended to, to slide into the frame. So of the, of the steel structure. So they literally slid into the frame like door, like drawers in a dresser. That's crazy. And there's a myth that the reason why they did this type of modular construction was because they wanted to be able to take the rooms out 
so that they could redesign them and then slide them back in. But Disney says that's not true. So it's, they were not ever intended to actually slide back out, even though for the construction portion of it, it was slid in. Interesting. So what what's the reason Disney gave them as to why they did this? Does it say? No, it doesn't. But it might have been just kind of that new turn of the future type of construction where it was more assembly line based. So maybe it was just more efficient to build the rooms this way rather than to construct them from the ground up. Yeah, we need an architect or an engineer on the show to explain this <laughs> and what the history is and if it like maybe why it failed or because now I have a bunch of questions that I don't have the answers to. You I'm probably sure. don't have the answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, but anyways, so yeah, those are the rooms and the cranes. What they found was that they would start moving them in on one side, but because of the way the framing was, it would throw it off balance if they didn't actually alternate between one side of the building and the other. So they literally had to slide one room in, go to the opposite side of the building, and slide a room in on the other side, just so that it wouldn't throw off the balance of the structure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and then another big thing, obviously, about this resort is the monorail. Mm -hmm. So the monorail, it wasn't... It was intended originally to actually go straight through the center of the building, but the contractor insisted that they actually could not do it because when the monorail would go through, the whole building would shake and it would throw off the integrity of the structure. But it was Roy Disney, who's Walt's older brother, who was the driving force of getting the Florida Project or Magic Kingdom and the resorts all, all together and opening. It was him who insisted, he doesn't care, just build it. Yeah. And so after a lot of reimagineering, what they did was instead of, which is what we have today, instead of running the monorail through the center of the building, it was put kind of off to the side. And instead of having the track go into the floor building, it goes straight into the ground, which I couldn't imagine that they would want to actually put track of a monorail just in the floor of a hotel building, but yeah. I guess that was the original plan. So Roy is the real hero here. Roy! <laughs> I don't think that... If Roy wasn't the kind of man that he was, we would not... I mean, I don't even think that we would have this podcast, this flash briefing, because we wouldn't have been raised with... Or I wouldn't have been raised with Disney, because it wouldn't have been in Florida. Mm, interesting. Like, I 100% believe that Roy is the reason why it went beyond just Disneyland Park. Because really, it's if it wouldn't have come here, it probably wouldn't have expanded to other parts of the world. I just, I just don't see it happening. Yeah. But maybe it would have. Do you think there'll be another park? Another full Disney park? In have the world? Been, or? Yeah, have there been talks about a, a new one? Well, Shanghai opened in 2016. Okay. And let's see, before that, I think it was Hong Kong that opened in 2005. But is there talks of another one? I have not heard. Okay. Do There's, you think there'll be another one? Yeah, I do. Okay. What in, do you think it would be? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it should be in Canada. Nah, it's too small of a population. Canada? Yeah. And Canada then, has less people than California, I heard. Like the whole country of Wasn't Canada? Wasn't you that told me that? 
Maybe. I don't remember. So I saw that somewhere that like the population <laughs> of Canada, I think, is less people than California. Well, right now there are three Asian parks, one European park, which was met with a ton of problems when it first opened. And then we have domestic parks here and in California. So Florida and California. It might be in Africa. You know where I hear they really want to build one is Texas. Yeah. Not they, but I hear that like Texas was an idea. Okay. Well, maybe they should bring it back to St. Louis. Well, I'm sorry, to Missouri, to Marceline, Missouri. They did a flash briefing last week about St. Louis's failed park project. So even before the Florida project was even announced, they were trying to get something together with the city of St. Louis to build something along the Mississippi River, mm -hmm. but also fell through. Interesting. Yes. Okay. But let's see. Okay. Where was I? So the, by the time the park opened, so October 1st, 1971, the hotel actually wasn't completely finished. And by opening day, what they had to do was there were still cranes on the hotel property. They folded the cranes down because they thought it would be an eyesore if you saw them from Tomorrowland. So they folded the cranes down for the first weekend of operation and they covered it with grass so that nobody would see it. But then by Monday, they put the cranes back up okay. and they started to finish construction on the, on the hotel. One thing that I think that's really cool about the, uh, this building is that it's one of the it's probably one of the closest places that I've seen that you can interact with the monorail without actually getting on it that's such a good point because it's so it's literally so close to you mm -hmm. when you're in the lobby like it's it's basically on the next floor up yeah so and, it, and it's so quiet too that's something about the monorail that's always amazing it's like you can literally be standing under it and it drives right by you and you're just oh there it is yeah, it's a great, and I remember I really wanted, once when I was there, I really wanted a slow-mo picture mm -hmm. of it, because it's great for that, because it's going really slow in there, um, so I thought it was good to have one, it, but it was like hard to catch it, you know, um, because like depending on where you were, if it came through, you'd have to like run to like a good spot or whatever, but it's really cool because it, it doesn't go in speeding through the building, it slows down the monorail when it gets there, mm -hmm. so it's really cool. One last thing, I guess, on our way out is the name. So the Contemporary, so it was originally opened as the Contemporary Hotel, but when, before it opened, the name was going to be called the Tempo Bay Hotel. So even though kind of in passing amongst the um, Imagineer group that was working on the project, they were just calling it the Contemporary Hotel just as the describer, but the original name was going to be Tempo Bay Hotel. But Roy said that the name was just, it seemed phony and like it was trying too hard basically. And that's when they decided to name it the Contemporary Hotel. Was there history as to why it was the Tempo Bay? Like did it come from anything or it was completely made up? Well, I think Tempo is a play on contemporary and Bay perhaps from Bay Lake because it's literally on Bay Lake. Oh, okay. But Roy felt that it was just, it didn't, something was phony about it. Interesting. Cool. So, yeah. Well, that was insightful. <laughs> I think it's, it makes, 
I hear, think that hearing this makes even me just appreciate the type of um, feat of imagineering the, con- the contemporary resort is. Yeah. yeah. What, what is your? What do you think is the most interesting part of all this for that building? That the monorail almost didn't happen because they couldn't figure out the best way to engineer it. Oh, actually, you know what? Something I just remembered that I wanted to tell you. The reason why Roy was so insistent on having the monorail go through it was because he's like, if we don't have the monorail go through the building, it's just like any hotel. It's just like any other hotel. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it special. Yeah. So really just maybe the the fact that they were able to bring all their big brains together and actually do the monorail so that everybody can, so it can be distinguished and everybody can enjoy it is pretty cool. Yeah. What about you? It's definitely the the pod rooms. The modular rooms that were slid into place. Yeah. That's pretty fascinating to me to think about. Now when I go into it, I'm going to be like testing all of, like I'm going to be trying to shake it like to see <laughs> if like it moves with the pod. It's probably know. settled by now. Yeah, I mean, still. you know, 50 years later. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, all cool. right. Well, I hope everyone found that as insightful as we did. Um, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet to the podcast. Leave us a rating and follow us on any of your favorite social media platforms. Yeah. And if you're interested in supporting the cat podcast on thewaltdaily.com, we have mugs and a shirt, a couple shirts. Yes. So her, des- her designs are coming out really cool. And she's designing these like from scratch borderline. <laughs> so from scratch. Yes. And thank you everyone for listening. We hope this brought a little bit of magic to your day and we'll see you next time. Bye.